Yo, what's going on? It's your boy, Big Wavy Roy Johnson here. Hello everyone, this is the interview queen, Alicia Too. This is the infamous Cameron Solis. This is the professional Nathan Cruz. This is Veggie. This is the Callahan Death Machine in the draw and the face of Impact Wrestling. The one and only shot with Thunder Willie Mac. This is Shreddy Break, aka Mr. Clangin' and Bangin'. And you're listening. You are listening to. You are listening to. Broken but glorious. Broken but glorious. Broken but glorious. So, hello everybody. It's uh, Stephen Jackson, aka DJ215, here again with another interview for BBG Wrestling. And I am delighted and honoured to be joined by. Lavi Margolin, uh, author of Trump Mania, and over time has become a very close friend on Twitter as well. It's the first time we're talking today. We're on Zoom face to face. You're only hearing us in audio, but you know it's an absolute privilege, Lavi. How are you doing? It's uh, great to connect with you. I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean the the world is amazing now. You know you can uh, establish these relationships and and share ideas and uh, read each other's work and then eventually connect. And one of the coolest things is that I find that usually when, you know, I do connect with somebody, it's smooth. So it's nice like to, um, to build on that. Yeah, definitely. I agree. It's been completely seamless transition. And what I like as well is that we've been able to talk about things outside of wrestling. You know, a lot of the times you connect through wrestling and then, um, you know, we've connected about a lot of things like, um, our work, what we do, and you know our jobs and um, our interests. So it, it's it's just a privilege to be able to speak to you today. And um, you know I'm really looking forward to learning more about you know um, your writing and just your fandom in general. So um, so thank you. Sure, glad to be here. Now you're welcome. So to start off with, as I ask with all my uh, interview guests. What was the first memory you had of wrestling or where did the fandom for wrestling, you know, begin? There's always often a point in time where it sort of starts. What was, what was your point in time? So the earliest memory I have of professional wrestling was actually before I became a fan. It was my fourth birthday and one of the birthday presents I got was a King Kong Bundy doll. <laughs> and I didn't know what to make of this thing. He looked like a gigantic <laughs> hot dog. And uh, as a four-year-old, this doll like weighed, you know, five pounds or more. But, you know, I played with it. I threw it around the room. I didn't injure myself. So I was happy with that. I kind of, I had the general idea that it was wrestling because, you know, it was everywhere, even though I don't remember, you know, any reference point about wrestling before that. Um but uh, at what point did I become a fan? The earliest match memory I have, which actually corresponds with my writing later, was the big moment, the mega powers against the, the twin towers on the main event. And um, in that match, of course, Akeem, the African dream, falls on Miss Elizabeth. Um, Hulk Hogan goes to the back to help her. Macho Man is just getting beaten up in the ring for what seems like forever. And this is the big spark that leads to WrestleMania five. Now I recently I've been trying to think about like, did I actually watch that as, as it occurred? Most likely what, what happened was they replayed the whole thing like on wrestling challenge, um, you know, on Sunday mornings on Fox five in New York. And that's probably where I caught it as opposed to having seen this show in the evening. Yeah. It's uh, an iconic moment, you know, and then you see the um, 
the, the the sort of snapping of Randy and you know you hear the stories about how the relationship you know went from being professional and became a lot more personal and such a amazing moment in in wrestling as a whole I think you know you, you, it kind of showed for, for me anyway and it might be the same for you just off topic but I love Randy Savage macho man Randy Savage I think he was an absolute one of a kind same as Hulk Hogan and that moment for me watching it retrospectively showed how two men were at the peak of their work which you wouldn't get until Rock and Austin uh, probably WrestleMania 17 but I mean as a kid who obviously saw it at the time did it feel like you were seeing as it said like the mega powers exploding did it feel like you were seeing these two it wasn't like one guy was less um you know of a of a star than the other they were both at the peak of their work did it feel like that like you didn't know who was going to win and what was going to happen yeah it was you know it was huge at the time they say like you know, you'll never be a bigger fan than, you know, the first year or two that you watch as a kid. And these were the larger-than-life stars that drew me in. And um, I've recently been looking at some pictures of uh, Hogan and Macho, like, sort of posing together, um, you know, during uh, some of the better times as the, the <laughs> Mega Powers. And uh, Savage was was huge at the time, like, at least from the photos, although not necessarily in reality. Like, he looked, you know, just right up there with, with Hogan in, in terms of the muscles. And I was a, a huge um, Randy Savage fan. In terms of Hulk Hogan, I would find his like general interviews like on the syndicated shows boring. But when his music would hit, like I would, you know, you, you couldn't not like go bananas. You could be like, no, I don't like him. And then suddenly his music hits and you're like, I love this guy. You know, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's just um, such a magical time, you know, um, I mean, like I said, me watching it retrospectively, you can just see how so many people got invested in wrestling and where it kind of started the first boom period. Um, and what we've led into today with, you know, WWE, it's um, it's incredible. Um, and one thing I would say in terms of earlier on, we were talking about a connection is that we actually began speaking through, if, I'm, if I remember rightly, it was through our mutual love of, our mutual knowledge of Ring of Honor. And I've loved ring of honor since it began and you know although there's been a few shaky times i still do follow the product and i have you know followed it since it began where did ring of honor um become you know part of your life or what sort of sparked that fandom for you with ring of honor okay so fast forward from a happy eight-year-old fully engrossed <laughs> in the business to somebody you know post um attitude era that was just like the the Kane, Katie Vick, Triple H stuff, the shock value being past its prime, just kind of, you know, no, no mainstream competition yet. Um, although I did order the, the TNA pay-per-views and, and enjoyed the, the early ones, um, but kind of like being bored of the business, but I would still get the Wrestling Observer and I loved reading it cover to cover. I'd read all the results from Mexico, even though I, you know, I hadn't seen most of the guys. Um, and, you know, Dave Meltzer would be like raving about uh, CM Punk and Samoa Joe and uh, Brian Danielson, American Dragon. Um, so somehow in my AOL uh, inbox would land um, Mike Johnson from PW Insider and say, bus trip to go see Ring of Honor, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or Elizabeth, New Jersey. And I was like, all right, why not? And <laughs> the bus trips were stories in themselves in terms of the 
the <laughs> funny nature guys on the bus trips, as you could imagine. But like the shows, it was like I had never seen that style before. Maybe like some of the the more, most technical people in ECW at certain points. But like, you know, I didn't know the guys at all, and it was it was all fresh to me and so exciting. And I remember the first bus trip, CM Punk got on the bus um, before the show, and there was a kid like with the tape on his arms and he was like so excited i was like who is this guy and then uh, and then i saw you know those those three guys especially but almost everyone was awesome um and i was just like enamored with it so my love of watching wrestling week to week and like any tapes i mean it, it was vhs tapes and maybe a little dvd when when i was really into it but like i i wouldn't sit down and watch like ring of honor on those things but like to go to the live events of ring of honor that like really like though that was my wrestling fandom for um for a number of years like summer of punk so that that generation and that carried through like um you know i know some people are, are big fans so I'm, I'm a little shy of admitting that but like i didn't like the period when kevin owens was there i didn't like you know i'm not you know i'm not easily offended but like i just didn't like the feel of it when he'd like be cursing everyone out and putting up his middle finger like that didn't offend me even when Stone Cold would do it just something about it felt like gross to me for what it was like I kind of lost interest but I would try to go to the Hammerstein Ballroom um, when I could regularly like I was at Final Battle like every year consistently um, you know when it was in New York and you know and I could go so like that that kept me involved so that was a pillar of still being a fan and like following the business side and as you mentioned like with Ring of Honor, like one of the things that I enjoy was like sort of like figuring out pieces of the business history that that hasn't been well exposed. So I took on this project where a few years ago where I started working backwards to find like the attendance for every Ring of Honor show that was available and like start <laughs> keeping spreadsheets about that. And that kind of became my thing for like wrestling Twitter when I discovered it about four years ago, like where I'd share the results and like I compare averages um, until the world fell on its head. Um, uh, <laughs> I had to do some other things. It it was, you know, fascinating to me, and and uh, it was where we first connected through that those averages. And I think it was during my time covering Ring of Honor regularly for the Wrestling Estate, where um, you'd seen my work, and we started talking about the um, attendances, and you know, we talked about um, the super, uh, G1 Supercard and how they'd you know, moved on from there. And you look at the averages of the attendance and, you know, throughout um, 2017, I believe, was when it first kind of hit the post sort of 5,000 plus. If I, you, you know the actual figures, but I believe that's where it started, the five, which is an incredible achievement for any company to hit 5,000 plus fans, you know, bar WWE or Impact, if I'm right with that one. Yeah, so I think it was that like New Orleans WrestleMania weekend show. I think that was uh, right, right there, right in that time period. Because yeah. the company, um, right? So they, they, you know, when it was first hot, they were running small venues, and you know they would be sold out. But it was never like um, even like mid-major arenas. It was it was pretty small places. And then like when Sinclair brought it, I bought it. Excuse me. They <laughs> sort of saw it as like, okay, we have television now, so we could like quickly scale up and then they had like these um mostly empty venues so it was like sort of like a series of like retrenchment and replanning and then like for a couple of years they really got it like they were in the right size venues and they were 
very ambitious, like over WrestleMania weekend and maybe another week on the show, and they did really well. Um, and then a whole other story is sort of like they put all their eggs in sort of the basket of the elite. And when AEW started, like it was like the air being sucked out of the room, and like you know they're sort of like waiting in in that now um uh, <laughs> which you know i'm trying to avoid going down these, these rabbit holes but i could talk about any of these things it's um yeah it's an interesting thing to, to talk about and to um you know analyze the history of the company and you know analyze the you know peaks and troughs of the attendances and the you know different champions runs and the um the revenue and things like that. it's fast you know it's fascinating and it's um it's interesting as well because um what i was about to say as well is that um as a writer your main focus is predominantly the business and economic side of wrestling and i find that fascinating like i love learning about all the figures and the stats and the you know the revenue and the you know the the, uh, the numbers and all that um was that part of the business something you were always interested in or since you'd done you studying um at university and college and things did it come through or has it always been there so i guess i was a weird kid because <laughs> i didn't watch and just enjoy the show be- probably because the wwf always made a big deal about when they had a good attendance that i was fascinated when they weren't doing well i think when i became a fan like it was always in the shadow of wrestlemania 3 right you had what was purported to be 93,000. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, when they never approached that number, you know, until years and years later, again, um, even though, you know, Wembley Stadium, obviously, I think may have even done better. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of their narrative, um, like I would look at sort of like when I'd go to live shows, thank, you know, I, I was very lucky to grow up a 25 minute train ride from Madison Square Garden. So that is my home arena. Um, Saturday nights, like in the winter, going to the garden is like some of my most, I'm gonna like cry, you know, but yeah. some of my most cherished memories, oh, wow. like for real. Um, so, but like, if I go to a show, I'd be like, looking around, is it sold out? Why are there tickets here? Um, how are things going? Like, sort of like that mentality. I'm not sure if I knew the phrase back then, but like, uh, you know, been senior right like so goes the business so goes the garden you know like and it's important to Vince Jr. and so on like and for me it, it was that even though like years later I might learn that they were doing a, like let's say mid-90s they weren't doing so well in Madison Square Garden but they were doing great in Europe like I didn't necessarily know that so like it was monthly how they did in the garden that's how the business was to me um, I think I, I talked so much that I lost the context of the question. <laughs> it was more just as a fan, oh. like the, the, the numbers thing. Was it something which, as you grew up um, with your sort of business head, did it come along with that? Or was it something you'd always had underlying as a fan, as a, as a child fan going forward? Because it is sort of your specialism with wrestling writing and the like. Sure. So, yeah. So that like, being like from an outsider looking at the numbers always interested me to see how the business was going, whatever I could garner from that. You know, I love to garner it. There was um, the New York daily news had like a, a semi kayfabe um, yeah. uh, article writer named the slammer and he'd have like a garbage bag over his face. So sometimes you would get like little hints or there'd be um, results like from blackjack Brown in like the, like near the basketball scores, which is cool. cool. And sometimes the attendance numbers, so it was like drips and drabs, but like, 
I think the first newsletter I got was um, PW Torch, um, and then later The Observer. And like once I started getting this information, like I love that. Oh, you know what? I remember in one of like the newsstand magazines, um, they actually had an ad for The Observer, and like you know, The Observer type is already like six. So if you imagine <laughs> they they had an ad in the magazine, so the type was like a two, <laughs> and I'm like. I'm like, I'm reading it with like a magnifying glass and my <laughs> mind is like being blown, you know, how business is going, people's real names and so on. So from that point, like my interest of the business was always centered in, um, you know, business numbers. And what I realized like over the last two years is like most people, when they talk about the wrestling business, they talk about the same things. Um, less so pay-per-view buy rates, but um, that's included, but things like, um, WWE network numbers, where the profit and loss numbers, um, television ratings, to me that's covered. So I like to dig deeper and find things that are sort of like off the mainstream. I recently um, started um, tweeting it out about once or twice a week. I, I look for business articles you might have missed um, to share unique things about the business that tend to be under the radar. Yeah, I mean, I, I love all that. You know, that's the kind of research which, you know, I gravitate to straight away. You know, it's the stuff which isn't necessarily throughout the Twitter feed you would find from anyone and everyone. It's a lot more specific and informative, you know, and and um, interesting as well. You know, you, seeing the trends and seeing the, as I said, the peaks and the troughs and seeing the business side of things. Because at the end of the day, it's a, as they always say, it's a business, you know, and you've got to know how the business is doing. Um, and in terms of sort of leading on to this, um, the, as, as a lot of people know, you're most notably known. Um, and where I became first aware of your writing was when you published and wrote Trump mania, which was appropriate as well, given you were wearing earlier on the WrestleMania five, um, it's there, <laughs> the WrestleMania five Trump uh, towers, uh, Trump Plaza, sorry, Trump Plaza, um, cap. And, um, I mean, it was met with critical acclaim and it is an incredible book. And was it through that, ma um, marketing and economic interest that the inspiration for the book actually came or was it something completely different sure so i, I think um i think trump i was about to say rain you know that sounds uh, overly uh, so but i think you know i think his election certainly has um resonated um you know across the pond and, and all over the world and from what i'm gathering a little bit your not to get too political, your prime minister is somebody that's, um, you know, tends to, people tend to be very opinionated, but I don't, you know, I don't know enough to say anything <laughs> about that. But what it was, um, you know, yeah, I'm was, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what it was, was um, first it was, first it was fascination, sort of like curiosity, like um, Trump, when he declared um, this time for president, um, it was so fascinating just the way he would do things. And it was a joke. Like, uh, he's a jerk. You know, he's saying these horrible things, but he'll never be elected. And like watching the RNC debates um, or the, the Republican debates, um, like he'd be so off center that it would be so entertaining. Like, I never went out of my way to watch any of these debates before. And here it was like prime programming. You got to watch. And, and it was all a joke until, you know, election night and we're watching on TV and I also have like 
the New York Times had like an app or something and it would show like it would show like probability of Hillary winning like they had like 93 percent and then like oh my god he lost you know she lost Florida and she lost Michigan and then it'll be probability of Trump winning he's suddenly swinging to 95 and then like percent and then you're done and it was this um you know honestly it was it was a fear um uh, you know the uh you know what's gonna be like um you know when when you isolate different groups uh, of people as, as outsiders you know like um uh my family wouldn't be considered american mainstream if you're going to start like you know classifying people it's scary mm. um so you know we, not to be so heavy here but my wife was renewing our passports and you know we we're ready to go so first i lived in fear and then um we went to a friend's house um and i was just talking about my book ideas and um my general background is like career counseling and interviewing my, my thing is like job interviewing so uh, my friend tends to be not that interested in those those books that I talk about. So he was listening, and I happened to mention, I was like, by the way, did you know Trump comes from the world of wrestling? So I'm thinking about, like, a book where um, I talk about, like, how um, the world of wrestling influenced him and his relationship with McMahon. And he's like, suddenly, I don't know if he actually jumped out of his seat, but suddenly he was like, this spark, he's like, that's the book, stop everything, just concentrate on that. I was like, this is the book? And he's like, yeah, that's the book. And for me, it was actually um, sort of like, uh, uh, it was a way of like healing, kind of like, where I was like, I focused my energy on this and it informed me and better understood. I Little did I know when I was rewriting the book for a new edition three years later, it would be another form of healing and dealing with terrible <laughs> stress in the world, unfortunately. But um, what was most interesting about it was that I expected a very surface level experience in terms of what I find. Okay, he sat at WrestleMania 4. Okay, he did Battle of the Leaners. But the more I dug, and especially now with the revised book coming out, hopefully, uh, <laughs> um, but like even the first time, like the more I dug, the more I found. And I was like, wow, the connections here are, are absolutely fascinating. And so there's not only, you know, the stories like newspaper.com's um, deep dive and like I've, I've improved my journalistic skills just actually through um, learning from people on Twitter, like like David Bixon's fan. But mm. um, but the business side was fascinating too, and you could see the confusion with the numbers. Even looking at like um, ha- um, how many buys there were, how many tickets were sold, the revenue that was made with WrestleMania four. So many different sources are are saying different things that should all be credible sources. So when we look at it today, and somebody claims. Um, certain business milestones or number of people at a rally, you know, you could still see that murkiness, you know, over 30 years later. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating. It's one of those things where you always knew there was, I think that's one thing where I think a lot of wrestling fans, when Trump did, the first thing I thought is that this man appeared at WrestleMania four and he appeared at WrestleMania 23. And you kind of think the wrestling connection is there. And I think seeing it written down, um, in your in your book and you know the way you approached it was so uh refreshing you know like it, it really and it's such a it's such a great book you know i mean it got so much critical acclaim and it deserves all the acclaim it, it you know it received it's it's a brilliant brilliant book one of the best wrestling books i've read because what i was going to say was for a long time um wrestling books had been kind of i'd, I'd kind of been in two minds about wrestling books in the sense that they'd 
there was the WWE kind of side of it where it was a bit of butchered history. WWE liked to rewrite history, you know, <laughs> and and also these other people who weren't necessarily the best writers in terms of the actual content, but this book of yours matched both perfectly. And it kind of set off a wrestling book revolution, I would say, because there were so many other books which came along with yours at the time. And did you expect, and there have been books since, and did you expect the book to be received just as successfully and just as much as it, as it was when it was released and published? So, you know, it was interesting because I, I wasn't sure, you know, um, in a totally different world, you know, some of my career books broke through and some were just there. Um, but I think what, what really helped and, you know, honestly, when I first started doing it, I thought it would just be a promotional thing, but I found a real community, which was on Twitter. You know, once I started like thinking about writing the book, I really jumped more deeply into the Twitter wrestling side and exchanged ideas with people and, and made connections. So um, once the book was coming out, you know, that was already established for uh, maybe a little bit under a year. Um, and, uh, you know, it was amazing. Like sometimes, like, sometimes you feel like, with publicity or, or somebody paying attention, like I can get here, but I can't get here. But it's not really about that I found. It's like, it's sort of about timing and opportunity and interest. So, you know, to be mentioned in, in Sports Illustrated, yeah. you know, what um, was awesome, like, and, you know, unexpected. Um, uh, so so that, that element was cool. And, you know, it was just, it was a great way to, you know, exchange ideas and, um, you know, being somebody that wasn't that politically active but but is but wrote the book to be sort of you know to be fair and and factual uh, but I do enjoy you know um, connecting with people that are big wrestling fans that may be on the other side and, and we talk about things and there's a lot to learn from Trump and I think any political party anywhere can learn a number of things you just have to use them you know, in the right way and, you know, and, and have that, have that core of things. Yeah. Um, you can learn from anything, whether it, you know, that's one thing is that you might not agree with anything or you might not accept certain things, but you can still learn from it. You know, there's nothing not to, to learn. It's all about learning. And the other main thing I was going to ask you as well was that the book itself, uh, the actual topic of it is quite a, it's fair to say quite a, controversial well controversial in one sense because of obviously looking very closely at the current president and Vince McMahon the most powerful man in professional wrestling did you come again did, did you approach any WWE uh, execs or any WWE sort of contacts in finding out any information or was it completely a sense of that I want to just do this uh, the opposite way and not go that route in case things get halted was there any kind of um worry there that things might get hauled to the nowhere sure so kind of knowing the business um maybe i should have been sort of put myself out there more in that way and and tried i i felt like with wwe the way that they work um they either would have ignored it or if they saw it as credible sort of um i assume that you know it'd be very generic in terms of, of what they say but i felt like there was enough of a narrative out there of people that had been involved or what was shared at the time before it was controversial to do that like um, somebody that's been really supportive of, of my projects I really appreciate is uh, Court Bauer of MLW we actually grew up not far from each other and like oh, wow. um, sort of on the board on the borderline of the Bronx and Westchester and oh, grew cool. up in Westchester 
my high school is sort of um, near near where he grew up. We didn't know each other, but I think you know we have that we have that connection in that way. And and you know initially when I reached out to him, um, you know he's always shared it and um, given more insight into things. So so that's that's helped to being a greater understanding. But sort of uh, from purely journalistic perspective, should I have tried? You know some people have to come in and get their perspective. Probably, but I did. I didn't. Um, but I think um, I wasn't necessarily afraid of any retribution at the company or from like, maybe if the book like a, a problem to have would be like, let's say if the book became super popular, then you'd have like uh, Trump people maybe like hating on you or, or something like that. But my dream has always been to have Trump hate tweet me. Yeah. Where, you know, <laughs> where, where he said like, you know, for his fifth to 50 million people he says this book is uh garbage or something like that <laughs> uh, that would be amazing you know like uh sail through the room so but so i i've actually spent three years i i slowed down on it recently um but i spent three years both like sort of falsely praising him like to get him to kind of like trick him to, to <laughs> retweeting me and also like sort of like jabbing at him or throwing little stones at him but like neither has worked <laughs> but you know you have to try different ideas Go throw rocks at a man who's got a machine gun. To quote the uh, late great Roddy Piper, <laughs> it's um yeah, it's interesting because obviously a lot of projects outside of WWE often um never get any WWE involvement. So it was one of those things I was interested in because um as I said, WWE have kind of a tendency to want to uh, monopolize a lot of writings. Probably why I didn't like a lot of write- wrestling books because they were always predominantly you know based in WWE and didn't feel as authentic as I was hoping um with the exception of kind of Mick Foley um his his book um and in terms of the book as well you actually worked um with a fellow Brit of mine uh John Lister um and John's a renowned you know wrestling journalist and wrestling writer and I love John's work as well what was it like work? I mean, reading John's work is an education. What was it like working closely with John? So in the first edition of the book, and I'm sort of going a little bit of a different way just to change things up in the new edition, but in the first edition of the book, I had two dream people that I wanted to work with. And I was very lucky that both um, were agreeable to work with me. So with John Lister, um, one of his books that I think like everyone go out and buy it, not necessarily ahead of Trump mania, but everyone go out and buy it. His um, history of ECW is like there was three or four um, definitive biographies of it. His history of ECW is the best one. Yeah. Uh, I think it was called All the Tables Were Broken, something like that. Uh, so I love that. Um, I also love some of his um, uh, shorter writing. Yes. So I've always been fascinated with Memphis wrestling, especially the later days, like when you know they had to move from the mid-south coliseum to like the big one expo center and it was a leaky roof that sort of thing so when he went to um some shows sort of around the circuit that was fascinating to me as well so i i loved his writing and i thought like you know it could bring uh his editing could bring like a certain polish that i wouldn't have and a certain insight in and i feel that it did um so i was very proud to have that um the second person that i worked with was box brown I think he actually prefers Brian Box Brown now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I loved um, the Andre the Giant um, biography, which was a bestseller on the New York Times. So, like, even to be like four, 
four uh, stages removed from the New York Times bestseller list to <laughs> work with somebody that has been, uh, has been a pleasure. And his, his drawings like really capture the nature of things I find. It's like, it's, a, it's an amazing art to have, no pun intended. So um, I was really proud to, to work with him too. So that like, you know, it felt like a collaborative process. Definitely. I mean, it's, um, it, it's always great when you're able to work with fellow, um, you know, enthusiasts and writers of such a high quality. I think that's the thing what always stood out for me with the book was that it, it um, it's such high quality, like it just reads so well and it just, you hate that feeling where you start any book and you don't want to read it because it's badly written, <laughs> but this book is anything but it's an absolute blast to read. And, you know, like I said, it deserves all the, um, celebration and all of the um, accolades to quote Gorilla Monsoon that um, it deserves. It's a, it's a fantastic book. Um, and what was I, I was privileged about as a, um, there it is. <laughs> we're only doing it, we're only doing it audio, but it is here. It is here in person, the book. <laughs> Love that cover as well. Love that cover. I think um, Thank you. The, no, you are. Yeah, I was very excited the first time I saw it. It's awesome. Um, I was incredibly flattered after we'd spoken on Twitter to be the proofreader or one of the proofreaders, I should say, for your most recent book, Six Figure Gamer, which was another blast to read. And was that a fun, this is kind of going off the wrestling side of things, but it's kind of a two-part question. Was it fun going in a different direction to Trump mania and writing something completely different? And on top of that, when you are actually approaching writing, what is it what you actually how do you start the writing process for anyone who wants to write a wrestling book or a wrestling article or journalism sure so um it, it was interesting to write um my second nonfiction, you know like biography or industry look book um in a, in a very different way so in terms of the question about doing your research I think the first thing to do for me, and I've done this ever since college, um, like gather you know as many resources you can first, you know, see what you have, yeah. try and put it together, see what's missing. You'll 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 come back to your research later, but to try and put something down and say something before you have the sources or all the information, um, you know, seems difficult to do. I mean, if you're if your timeline is open, you could keep going back to it and, and revising that way. But I'm um, somebody like, I'd rather delve into the research, sort of like get a sense of the flow of things first, what I have, and then go from there. And what was amazing, sort of like, as you get into doing research, like uh, being able to revise the book at a later point, which I'm kind of finishing the, um, the formatting right now, which is a frustrating part, but uh, I think we'll get there, um, is that like my research skills have gotten so much better in three years that I'm like, I appreciate the praise for the first book. This, the second, like the revised version is going to be like so much better just because like, not, you know, now I have this base of having done all that previous research. Now we build on top of that and you have the historical perspective to look back on. So that was sort of like doing mostly secondary research um, with the six figure gamer, which looks at um, the game of uh, massive multiplayer worlds um, through a game that's that had been fairly popular but I think it's you know certainly much less popular than the games you would think of um, now in terms of like let's say like a world of Warcraft or, or something like that it's called old school runescape so I knew a um, or I still know um, a young person who's um, now in his uh, mid-20s but uh, when I first heard about this it goes back to high school um, 
eventually he found a way to make, um, you know, $150,000, $200,000 a year um, playing this game, which had its positives, um, but also its pitfalls in terms of health and time. And um, so that was sort of, there's a main character, uh, a main person that's real in the book whose identity is somewhat shielded. Um, but it also sort of gives context to um, Generation Z. Um, I work in I work in a college in, in higher ed, so my students are many of them are of that generation. A lot though all also are like non traditional students, being like a, a city university in New York. Um, but it, it also I'm able to draw on, on some of those elements, but also like understand like what does education mean today? Um, a lot of times we think about like traditional pathways, you work hard, you get this sort of job, you'll do well, but we're going through not only, I mean, now we're going through major disruption, um, you know, everyone working at, from Zoom or uh, from home. But even then, um, it was a, uh, a even then, right, six months ago, even <laughs> then it was a topic uh, that resonated and of interest and I wanted to understand it. So that, um, that was a, a collaboration with my wife, Rachel. And so it went through so many different stages. The first was, was interviewing somebody that's naturally shy and doesn't give a lot of details. So it was like pulling it out, pulling it out. And then she would expand on that. And then we'd supplement it with research and see what we had. So that was, it was challenging to get there, but um, I was really proud of the uh, the end product. Yeah, it it was, it's a, another fantastic book to read. Red, I was so proud to be one of the, proofreaders for it you know um the first time i've ever been asked to be a proofreader as well which was a huge you know honor for me um and it was such a great such a great book such a great story and telling the story of again someone who brought uh, home a lot of things i wouldn't have expected but also like you said it covers a part of the generation generation z which i'm just before where um they're branded in one sense, which is unfair. And this book kind of shed light on a different side of it. And it was, a, it, again, like I said, it was such a fantastic book. You know, I urge everyone to go out and read it. Um, as with Trump Mania, you know, the books are you know fantastic and deserve all the um, acclaim they've received over time. And that kind of wraps things up. But one thing I was going to ask you was in terms of like, well, it's actually just come from this interview. So with, with Trump Mania, the second edition slash revised edition are you going back and looking at improving the book are you wanting to look at things since trump's been in presidency or what kind of a direction is the book taking in its second edition yes great question so both so firstly i'm sort of more informed politically i wouldn't sort of position myself as an expert in that at all at any point but there was more to the story that I missed. Um, one of the key elements was Jesse Ventura. So I touched on that briefly, but their connections, you, it's not like you need to look for the connections. Trump flew out to Minnesota in 2000 to talk to Ventura about how he did it. How um, oh, wow. you know, Ventura's, um, Ventura's platform was retaliate in 98 taking the disaffected, you know, working class um, uh, people that feel like they're being edged out by, by um, immigrant communities, that they're being mistreated by people that have um, uh, college degrees and master's degrees, take that anger and utilize it. So like that, you know, that was, 
that's a key point. Um, I, I also think it's fascinating to look at Linda McMahon's history as she became, you know, not only part of the administration, but also she it had been planned she'd be a key fundraiser for um, the administration. She's uh, she's giving a lot herself, but some people are disappointed with how she's doing. But like I, I looked at her campaigns um, uh, pretty in depth. Um, there was actually a, a book written about uh, one of her uh, campaigns, which I had no idea existed, <laughs> uh, and was was like very political science nature. So I'm what? just like, it was very heavy for me. But like I distilled that out, you know, into the book for for <laughs> sort of people that aren't of that context. So you you have that. Um, deeper newspaper.com research. I found some really fascinating things. There was some disappointment in Atlantic City that WrestleMania six um, wasn't being held there, which I never imagined it was considered. Oh, wow. um, and then we have everything moving forward. So I think um, you know the biggest touch points we're aware of. There's some things that are forgotten as like sort of this train kind of speeds along, but it gives us that perspective on things all the way through. You know the the challenges with coronavirus. And if you love the first one, come back to the second. Not necessarily cynical, but like I, I would, but it, but there's like more of a serious um, narrative to it too. Yeah, sounds great. Can't wait to read the second edition. First edition was fantastic. I've, you know, I, I can't. I mean, I, I'm, I can't say enough about the book. It's fantastic. Um, and Six Figure Gamer is a brilliant book as well for a different slant on. Um, a different take completely absolutely brilliant books um brilliant guy lavi it's such a privilege to finally be able to speak to you today after speaking for so long on twitter um messaging one another so yeah so if um and that kind of wraps things up so in terms of where people are able to find you either on social media or on um you know online where are people are able to buy your work your books and um, where people are able to connect with you. Great. Um, so on Twitter, um, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G, La Vie Marg, on any of the Amazon platforms, so Amazon UK, Amazon US, um, you have the print and um, Kindle editions. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> but um, yeah, just an absolute fantastic interview. Thank you so much. Everyone go out and buy the book. It says, like I said, on Amazon UK, it's anywhere and everywhere you can get it i love it and i can't wait for the second edition of trump mania when it comes out and just to finish and thank you again lavi just before i finish for finally being able to connect and you know it's been a privilege this evening here in the uk this afternoon for you so and i hope we can do it again sometime i hope we can talk again yeah and uh maybe one one day one year um we'll be able to travel and meet up over wrestlemania weekend let's hope let's hope <laughs> My kids love the idea of London. Great. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a bit far away from London, but I'm sure I could make the trip. And uh, especially for you and your family, you know, we'll hopefully connect one day around, you know, in the future. <laughs> and um, just to finish off, just so then people who are listening, uh, you can find BBG Wrestling at Twitter, at BBG Wrestling, and you can find the website at www.bbgwrestling.com. So thank you once again, Lavi. Um, this has been an absolute privilege uh, and an honour. Um, no pun intended with Ring of Honour, but it has been. <laughs> and as I said, we'll connect again sometime. And um, just all the best to you and your family during COVID as well. So thank you.